You guys want to pray with me? Jesus, we thank you that you've done great things in our, uh, in our lives, in our community, in the world, Lord. We thank you that you're here with us today, that you're working and you're alive. Lord, we just acknowledge uh, our need for you, for your supernatural power in our life. And Lord, we just acknowledge you're the king. You're the one with all the power, all the grace, the one that initiates relationship with mankind, the one that comes and reaches out to us uh, in our place. And, uh, and you love us. And you draw near to us. And so we thank you for your power and for your initiation. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, everybody, while you're standing, would you join me in our declaration of purpose? As we gather together as God's family, we come with a purpose. To invest in God's work and to invest in God's people. As he has been generous to us, we will be generous in his kingdom and with his people. Our time is his, our resources are his, our hearts are his, our lives are his. For his is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. You guys can take a seat. Thanks, worship team. Well, everybody, this morning we got a quick update from a good friend of ours, Bill Pagran. Um, he does uh, ministry in the villages, and with COVID, he hasn't been able to get out to the villages for the last uh, more than a year now. Um, and he's leaving tomorrow on his first trip. So he usually does a trip uh, over the Iditarod, and they do a few different villages. He's going to share about that just a little bit, and then I'll hop back up. So uh, oftentimes he'll come and, and share, as you guys know, to help raise money for his trip. He's fully funded. So uh, my invitation to you guys is to pray. Uh, a lot of these villages have been more isolated than any of us have been, right? And so already um, what he, he does for his ministry as far as suicide prevention goes and some of the other initiatives is a, a life giving thing that people oh, yeah. just get to experience every winter. So um, pray for them. It's a real short trip, and in two weeks he's going to either make another video or fly down for a few just to give us an update afterwards and let us know how it went. Every time I see Bill Pagarin and he's not in person, I, it seems like he's singing on a mountain. Is that just me or has that been the track record? I actually told him, make a two-minute video or less, but you don't need to go up to a mountain. It's fine. And just he, make the video. Yeah. Yeah. It was one minute and 59 seconds. And he was on a mountain. On a mountain. Yeah, yeah, that's so great. Okay. Yeah, he really has an amazing ministry. Just with an amazing track record, too. Yeah. Yep. Uh, just really quickly, coming up uh, here in a couple of weeks, we had, we, we talked about this years ago. In fact, some of you remember this conversation uh, from years ago. We talked about, wouldn't it be amazing if we had uh, in Homer, Alaska, licensed, credentialed Christian counseling services. Can you imagine what a blessing that would be? And now we have two licensed, or new, right? New two licensed Christian credentialed counselors, Jason Pretzel, Dory Hagen, uh, who are offering services here. And it's been amazing to be a part of, watch that uh, uh, come to life, that ministry come to life. And now we've discovered something. Now that we have some licensed credentialed counseling services in Homer, um, we need more licensed credentialed counseling services in Homer. Uh, in fact, there's, uh, there's a waiting time frame right now. Um, so Dory had this idea, which we loved. We thought this was a great idea. Uh, on Thursday night, April 29th, here in this building, 6.30 p.m., 
Uh, Dory's going to offer basically just uh, information to anyone that wants to come in here, all the way down to high school students if you're interested, uh, offer you information about what it means or what it looks like to pursue this track, what it looks like to pursue a career in Christian counseling. Uh, what does it take uh, to get there? And then also, what does a career in counseling uh, look like? Lots of uh, practical details. So if you've ever considered uh, that ministry or pursuing that uh, as a career for yourself, come here, uh, pretty open uh, to uh, ask questions that you have. Uh, but that's uh, coming up, what's a couple weeks from now? Yeah, Thursday night here at The Rock. So, oh, 6 p.m., I said 6.30, 6 p.m., yeah. Cool. Thank you, Dory, for putting that on. That's great. I'm pretty excited. Like 12 more, I'm anticipating, right? Within the next two years. At least 12 more. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. Well, I ran out of time last service. So no more monkeying around. You pray. We're going to go. Okay. Yeah. Let's pray together, guys. Jesus, we thank you for Aaron. We thank you for what he has prepared. Lord, we ask, uh, as we're here this morning... Holy Spirit, we want to invite you to speak to us. Would you make our hearts responsive to your voice? We're here to meet with a living God that's alive, that speaks, uh, and we need you this morning. And so uh, we're thankful that you're here, uh, and we ask that you would um, yeah, speak to us. Um, and uh, yeah, grateful that we get to be together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's great to be here. Anyone here that's not 10 years old win the Derby? No? Now you wish you were friends with Andrew Marley, don't you? That's a money fish. Like all the categories, right? Yeah. Whew. If you don't know what I'm talking about, well, you're missing out. We have some familiar faces in the house. We've got the Hibberts in the house. Great to see you guys. Welcome back. Yeah, that's right. We've got Philip Lick, the man, the myth, the legend. We've got Shiloh Seymour back in the house. Welcome back to Homer. <laughs> It's Sunday morning. Why are you here? Oh, right. We're going to look at the Word of God. I'm going to tell you a story. This story just gets stranger, if that's possible. Uh, but here's the deal. Uh, I feel like I need to offer you a reminder. I've offered you this reminder before. But our coverage of these stories on Sunday mornings is, is towards the goal of helping you kind of track with the timeline of the biblical narrative to draw some of the main ideas from it as to what it, God is doing. But I, even this morning, am going to be skipping over a lot of really great uh, pieces of the narrative. Um, and so, all of that to say, what we do here on Sunday morning is not sufficient for your intake of the Word of God. And I would just encourage you again that on your own, in your own study, even if you just track along with us, that you would take these stories that we cover this morning and you would go into them and say, what did I miss? Uh, what else is there? And take some time uh, to meet with the Lord in that way. This is what we're going to do this morning. I want to get after something. I'm going to tell you the story, but let me tell you uh, what I want to draw from the story so that you can be an informed listener as I tell it. What I want to answer this morning is what do you do when you believe that God has promised certain things, God has called you in a certain way, and yet it seems like those outcomes have been made unlikely 
by certain circumstances or certain people. In other words, you have an idea that this is where God is taking me, this is where I'm going to go, this is what he wants to do in my life, but then all of a sudden some things happen or come up or people seem to stand in the way of those things. How do you respond? Two of the greatest gifts in my life that I've received from the Lord, the first one was my wife, Jenny. She's pretty great. And the second one is this ministry, which has been pretty great. And I'll tell you from this vantage point, there was a time both in my relationship with Jenny and in ministry where it seemed like, it seemed like the odds were decreasing. I thought this was going to happen. Now it might not happen. I remember getting ready to propose to Jenny, and my father-in-law said, I wouldn't do it. And so I said, oh, okay, I guess I'll hold off for now, because she wanted to be able to follow the Lord, go to Bible school in Europe, hear from him, know his will, and then after that, if everything was good, commit. But I know what's in Europe. European men, right? It's very concerning. What if, what if the thing that I think that God has planned for me or promised me and called me to doesn't happen? So here's the story. Rebecca, Isaac got married. Rebecca was initially barren. Isaac prayed for her. She conceived. And while she was pregnant, uh, her womb became very tumultuous, which is an interesting circumstance, right? Uh, in fact, her, her, her belly became so tumultuous that she actually brought it to the Lord in prayer. She said, okay, this is my first time being pregnant, but this seems excessive. I'm not sure what's going on, but whatever's going on doesn't seem peaceful. Could you let me know what's going on? And the Lord responded to her prayer, and he said, in Genesis 25, this is where we're picking up our story, he said, two nations are in your womb, which would explain some things, right? If you ever had two nations in your womb, two people will be separated from your body. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. That is an important statement from the Lord. The older will serve the younger. Sure enough, a little time went by, and Rebecca gave birth to twins. First boy that was born was red and hairy. Not my story. And the second boy that was born was, was, was born holding on to uh, the heel of the firstborn son. So they named the first one Esau, which means hairy, and they named the second one Jacob, which literally means to grab by the heel, or one who supplants, meaning uh, someone who comes in from behind and snatches a hold of something. And the boys grew up as brothers, and something happened. Now, this is very normal. So you guys know I have eight brothers. Now, I know which of the boys is my parents' favorites. 
but my parents have done a good job of disguising that, right? Now, in this case, the parents did not do a good job of disguising it. It says that Esau grew up, and Isaac liked him better because he was an outdoorsman, a hunter, a man of the field. And Jacob grew up, and he was an accountant. He was maybe a computer programmer. It says that he was an indoorsman, not an outdoorsman. In fact, the specific term it uses it says that Jacob was more civilized. And Rebecca liked Jacob. So, some time goes by, boys are getting older. Uh, Esau goes out to hunt and uh, is unsuccessful in his hunt. Apparently, he did not take a sack lunch because he comes back to uh, their encampment and it says that he's famished. He is starving. Jacob is there um, at the outskirts of the camp doing what homebodies like Jacob do. He was making soup. Jacob was making some red stew and Esau approached him and said, bro, I am exhausted. I went hunting. There was nothing bigger than 50 inches, so I wasn't able to get anything. I'm going to die of starvation. Can I have some of your soup? And Jacob said, uh, sure, you can have some of my soup if you'll trade me your birthright. Which is kind of insane, right? I mean, a birthright is basically his entitlement to the inheritance of Isaac, basically everything that he owns. Yeah, I'll give you soup in exchange for everything. And Esau says, which to me seems a little dramatic, Esau says, yeah, sure. What good is a birthright if I'm dead? That's how my, that's how my children communicate that they're hungry. I'm going to die if I don't eat within the next hour, right? You're probably not going to die. But Jacob is serious about this, and he doubles down, and he says, no, no, no. I'm not joking around. I want you to swear to me that I can have your birthright. And then I'll give you some of this soup. And Edom said, or Esau says, okay, I swear. And the story tells us it's for that reason that Esau was called Edom, which means red. I always thought that was because he was red and hairy. No, it's because he traded for red soup. He's the red soup boy. So then Esau took wives from the neighboring tribes. Hittite women from the land of Canaan. And this became actually a great source of grief for his parents. Took wives from uh, different faith uh, background, different faith or belief system. So some time goes on. Isaac was 100 years old. His vision is failing. He calls his son Esau, his favorite son, and he says, um, I want to give you my blessing. I don't know how many days I have left. I'm getting old. 
And so this is what I would like you to do. I'd like you to go and do what you do so well. I'd like you to go hunting. I'd like you to get some game and prepare that game in the way that I like it prepared, which you know how to do so well, because, uh, you know, you're Esau. And then I will give you my blessing. And so Esau grabs up his stuff. He heads out to the field. And it says that Rebecca overheard this. And she said, hey, Jacob, I have an idea. How about uh, you go grab a couple of goats? I'm going to prepare them in the way that your dad likes them. And then I'm going to send you in to your dad to sneak that blessing away from him. This is a very, like, functional, you know, emotionally healthy family dynamic that we have going on here. <laughs> and Jacob made this very critical observation. Mom, I don't know if you've been paying attention, uh, but Esau and I are very different from each other. What if I go in there and he notices that I'm not Esau and he, this is actually my favorite part of the story, and he thinks that I'm a deceiver, you know, like you are, and then curses me instead. And Rebecca says, listen, if that, if that happens, the curse is on me. You do what I say. And so Jacob goes out, he gets the two goats, brings them back, mom cuts them up, makes the meal, takes the hide of goat, and, or the goats, and wraps his arms and hands with goat hides, and it says that she wrapped the nape of his neck, which only confirms this. Esau was really hairy. <laughs> and so Isaac took the food or sorry, Jacob took the food into his father Isaac and said, I have returned. And Isaac said, you're a good hunter, but that was fast. And Jacob said, yeah, God, God really helped me today. Gosh. And Isaac was skeptical and he said, uh, you sound like Jacob. Come here. So Jacob approaches his father. His father, again, who's losing his sight, puts his hands on his arms and says, oh, yeah, that's definitely a goat. I mean, Esau. <laughs> and he asks, he asks Jacob again, are you really Esau? And Jacob says, yes, it is your son, Esau. So Isaac ate the meal, says that he drank some wine, and then he called who he thought was Esau to him to, to give him his blessing. This is sort of the, the, the passing of the baton. He says to him in Genesis 27, Now may God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth, an abundance of grain and new wine. May people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master of your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you and blessed be those who bless you, which is the language of the promise that God had given Abraham, right? To Abraham, to Isaac, and now to Jacob. 
And Jacob says, thank you very much. That was great. Jacob exits the tent, and it says in the story, it says, within moments, Esau entered the tent with his meal prepared from wild game to receive his father's blessing. He says, Dad, I'm here. And Isaac says, you were just here. What do you mean you're here? You were just here. And at the realization that he had been tricked, Isaac trembled violently. He said to his son Esau, your brother has deceived me. He has taken your blessing, and it cannot be undone. The story says that Esau wept and begged for his father to bless him. And Isaac said, I have already made Jacob your master. What has been said has been said. It cannot be undone. And the story tells us that Esau consoled himself in this way by telling himself in that moment, when Isaac dies, I'm going to kill my brother. That's how he comforted, him, comforted himself in that moment. Well, Rebecca, as she seems able to do, heard this. So she called her son Jacob and she said, you can't stay here. You got to go. Esau is enraged and is planning to kill you. I want you to get your stuff. I want you to leave here and I want you to go back to where my family is and wait there for a period of time until things simmer down. Rebecca actually went into her husband Isaac and said, Isaac, we need to send Jacob away. But there's more than one purpose in this. We need to send him away for his own survival, but we also need to send him away to find a wife from our people, from our faith community. So Isaac agreed and he bid farewell to his son. And it says that he blessed him again. In fact, apparently somewhere in there, Isaac recognized what God was up to. Genesis 28:4. Isaac says to his son, Jacob, may God also give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you. So, to move fairly quickly, three truths about the promises and calling of God. For those who wonder how it is that we fully lay hold of them when other people seem to stand in the way or when circumstances seem to stand in the way. The first is this, the calling and promises of God are irrevocable. It was God who said in Genesis 25, the older will serve the younger. I've decided that. God did not mess up the birth order subsequent to that decision. And the birth order did not negate the promise of God. 
You don't hear God coming back and saying, now here's the deal. I had said that the older would serve the younger. I didn't realize what order they were going to come out. That's kind of thrown a wrench in things. So what are we going to do? The calling and promises of God are irrevocable. Romans 11:29, that one time when the scripture says, the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. Meaning that there is no other power sufficient enough or threatening enough to undo what God has decided he's going to do. 2 Corinthians 1.20, for as many as the promises of God are in him, they are yes. And you maybe have heard it this way. The promises of God are yes and Amen, right? Which is simply saying, as many times as God makes promises, you can take it to the bank. It's going to happen. It is true. When God makes a promise on your life, when he places a calling on your life, it is irrevocable. Number two, the calling and promises of God come from God. God is the one who had decided in advance his plans for Jacob and Esau. God is the one who determined the different roles that they would play. Romans 9 actually addresses this. He says, uh, also Rebekah, when she had conceived twins by her husband Isaac, even though the twins were not yet born and had not yet done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose, according to his choice, would stand, not because of works that they did, but because of him who calls, it was said to her, the older will serve the younger. Now, what he's talking about is not our capacity to walk fully in the promises of God. We make decisions about that, right? Whether I will walk in the promises of God. What Paul is saying in Romans is that it was God who had decided before they were born that the promises of Abraham would be handed down through Jacob and Jacob's line. It was his decision. Deceiving Isaac taking advantage of Esau, do not help God's cause in fulfilling his promises. Taking advantage of another person's weaknesses is not God's secret sauce to success. They were his promises, which means they rest on his ability to accomplish them. Same is true of the church today, 1 Corinthians 12. God has arranged the parts of the body, each one of them in the body just as he desired, meaning the gifts and callings upon you as a member of the body of Christ come from him. And, and, no one can rob you of that. Proverbs 26.2, like a sparrow in its flitting, like a swallow in its flying, so a curse without cause does not come to rest, meaning that just because someone says something, hey, you don't get to do that thing that God has called you to, or you don't get to receive that thing that God has promised you, 
the writer of Proverbs says, those things just float away. They don't land on you apart from the will of God because the calling and promises of God come from God. Number three, and this really actually kind of gets to the heart of this story. The calling and promises of God are received, not taken. Have you ever been on the, on the Isaac end of someone who was just laying a hold of the promises of God? who plowed you over to get there, and you thought, that didn't feel very godlike. The calling and promises of God are received. Rebecca and Jacob both simply could not trust God to bring about the outcomes, the blessing, the promises that God had made. And they decided, hey, we need to help God along, so let's work an angle. And in working that angle, they actually blurred lines of morality and integrity to lay a hold of what God said he was going to give them. And followers of God do this all the time now. Actually, what I love about the example of King David is a young man, anointed king, called by God as king, promised to be king, and then not king. And over the course of, of essentially a couple of decades, numerous voices speak into David's life and say, David, take it. It's yours. And David says, no, it absolutely is mine. And when God is ready, he will give it to me and I will receive it. Psalm 62, 1, my soul waits in silence for God alone. From him comes my salvation. When God's children act out of self-will and self-service to lay claim to what they believe is rightfully theirs, what they believe God has promised them or guaranteed them, what I have observed, and this story shows, is that relational harm is automatic. What happens to this family? So unnecessarily. They're fractured, split apart. They end up spending almost a generation of time living out of relationship with each other. Why? Because they blurred the lines of morality and integrity to lay hold of what God had already promised to give them. What it really reveals in them and in us is a lack of faith, a lack of trust. The calling and promises of God are received. No one else holds them. No one else needs to be hurt or harmed or deceived or tricked or manipulated in order to get everything that God intends for you. And it's an amazing thing when with hands open before God, you're able to receive and say, wow, that was from the Lord. That's a miracle.
God, give us in our place of doubt, in our place of questions, in that place where it seems like others have been able to do harm to your calling and promises, give us a faith that is resilient, that sees your hand at work, that trusts in you so confidently, that is able to walk in integrity even when the, the, the things that we carry in our heart remain unfulfilled so that we ultimately would see your hand at work accomplishing your purposes in us and around us. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys want to stand? We're going to worship together. There is communion around the room. If you want to take that during worship, you're welcome to do that. There's offering receptacles, but let's come before the Lord and sing. Yeah. 
Heavenly Father, we stand here in your presence, <laughs> an awesome God, gave us all promises and there's not a soul in this room or in the sound of my voice that hasn't. You need to accept those promises and stand on them, they're as sure as a foundation. Thank you, Father, for giving Abraham the step of faith to take that promise, to know it, send it through Isaac and Jacob to this generation that's in this building right now. We stand on that promise that Christ came as that promise on the cross, bore our sins. We are free in you, Father. Thank you for that promise this morning. As you go this week, just go with the presence of the Lord and thank you. Read your word like Aaron said this morning, and have a wonderful week.